Okay. So, if any of you have been to any of our Bible studies or classes, um, you are familiar with Pastor Tim's love of icebreakers, which means that many of you know uh, that end of high school into college, one of my summer jobs was sailing on a tall ship, see if this works, called the Windy. That's her under full sail. You can see Navy Pier behind the giant uh, Ferris wheel, lakefront tower. So I would spend my summer afternoons on this ship, sailing the skyline, taking people for cruises, which was amazing. Uh, If you're ever in Chicago in the summer, you should go take a cruise. Uh, You can help hoist the sails. So there was a crewmate there, his name was Orion. He's really an actor. And he would tell stories about pirates on the Great Lakes, which was super fun. Um, And one of the characters in several of the stories was this man. This is Roarin' Dan Seavey, which if you've hung out in Wisconsin or Michigan, you may have seen some craft beers or uh, some rum with his name on it. He's exactly what you'd expect. 6'4", barrel-chested, prone to hours-long brawls that had whiskey drink breaks and, uh, yeah, left saloons in shambles. Um, He and his crew on his two-masted schooner, the Wanderer, well, at times they used it as a brothel, a floating brothel, which was a a typical ruse at that time. Um, Other times they would silently sail into ports at night with no running lights and just grab everything that wasn't nailed down off ships from the town, take whatever they could grab, load it on their ship, and before anyone knew they were there, set sail, oftentimes back to Chicago, because the ports in Chicago, you know, they were quick to pay cash for goods and <coughs> slow to ask about where they came from. Other times, uh, they engaged in what's called moon cussing, which is where you alter sea lights. So if there were lights, up to warn ships of rocks, they might snuff those out. And then they might put up fake lights to make it look like a port, so then they would guide ships right into the rocks. And of course, when they crash, here comes Dan Seavey and his crew, take all the goods off those ships and sail off and sell them themselves. But his most lucrative business was actually selling uh, poached venison. Because when you sell it out of season, you're the only game in town, right? So this got him, well, this got the attention of uh, the Booth Fishing Company, who at the time, they had a monopoly on fishing in the Great Lakes. But they wanted Dan Seavey's venison business too, and he heard about that. So he stole himself a cannon, mounted it on his ship, and waited. And when the Booth Fishing Company found him, he blew the ship out from under him. No survivors. And this was all in the Great Lakes, remember. This is not the Caribbean. Uh, So one day, as my crewmate Orion was telling these stories, he had finished the stories, and a woman came up to him. And she said, Dan Seavey was my grandfather. Yeah. And she said, she said, you tell the stories wonderfully, but if you wouldn't mind... 
could you tell people at the end of the story that later in life, he settled down, he donated all of his money to community projects, to kids' programs, and became a respected member of his community. And Orion did. Whenever he told those stories, he let people know that that's how Dan Seavey ended his life. And he would say, because, you know, his granddaughter sat on his lap and held his hand, and I shook her hand. You're only one handshake away from shaking hands with a pirate. So now if you shake my hand, you're only two handshakes away from a pirate. <laughs> but it's true. He donated all of his money. Um, when he died in 1949, he died in a nursing home in Peshtigo, Wisconsin, for any of our Midwesterners familiar. Penniless. He gave it all away. Now, Roran Dan Seavey is certainly a unique character, but the arc of his life I don't think is all that unique. All right, we see someone who realized that Throughout his life, he had tipped the scales of justice pretty far in the wrong direction and at some point decided, I need to try to at least balance this out a little bit. And I think that's oftentimes how we think about good and bad, right, and even heaven and hell, and not just us, right? I think most people, if you ask them, they would say, you know, if there's a heaven, that's probably how you get there, right? You do more good than bad. You balance it out. In fact, actually, as we read our verse today, it sounds a little bit like that, right? We can get that impression. If we listen to what Jesus said, right? He says to the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Right? And then when they ask him, when did we do this? Here's what he tells them. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Right? And then to the goats, he says the same thing. You didn't do any of these things. And when they ask... He says, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So which one are you? Have you done some of those loving things? Some of those really generous, caring things? I'm sure at some point you've probably put some money in someone's cup, right? Like we have donate, I mean we took a huge load of donations down to Denver for all of these immigrants who need things as winter hits, and we've got more over here. Right? Or we already have gifts on the table for the help center. So yeah, we're doing all of those things, right? But have there ever been times when you have not shown love to the least of these? Okay, so which one is it? Maybe it is cumulative, like Right? Like that scale, like the kids saw. Maybe you just have to do more of one than the other. Right? And this idea of the cosmic scale is not new, right? It's, that's really how basically every 
religion, almost every religion, operates. Right? If you do more good than bad, if you follow these pillars, obey these laws, then you go to heaven, or nirvana, or your own planet, or your own personal harem, depending on which religion you pick. Right? But here's why it can't work that way. Because the judge, he judges on the basis of one. Right? Listen to what he says. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, and whatever you did not do for one of the least of these. Right? And the Greek here, it's not like a vague, it's not an indefinite pronoun. So it's not whatever you did for someone along the way. It's whatever you did for one. Like, which one? Like, I've been really good to at least one person in my life. <laughs> and I've also been really terrible to at least one person in my life. So which one? Was it the right one? Here's what we really need to understand. Is that Jesus, as the judge on his throne, he's viewing these good deeds as evidence not as cause. So the good works that we do, they are not what cause you to be judged a sheep or a goat. They are evidence that you are a sheep or a goat. So then what's the cause that Jesus is judging us on? Right? The difference at the end of all things is the presence or the lack of faith, right? And that faith, the trust in the love and the goodness of God and his mercy and his forgiveness, that's what restores our relationship with God, right? Between God and man, between shepherd and his sheep. And it's the lack of faith, right, that manifests itself in, you know, spite of God. Right, of turning away and not following the shepherd. Right? And that's what destroys or really rejects the relationship with God. The difference is whether or not faith is present. Right? And for the sheep, the sheep at God's right hand, of the hand of the judge, right, their works and their, of kindness and love they are evidence of their faith in God, which naturally flows from their hearts, from our hearts, right? right? James, one of the leaders of the early Christian church in Jerusalem and Jesus' brother, right, he wrote this. He said, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Right? Those who have faith will necessarily produce Good works. But wait, what about the evil deeds that we do? Right, what about the, the brokenness in my life? What about the sin that manifests itself in my life and in my relationships every day? Right, why doesn't that count against me? Right, and the answer is really simple but it's so easy to overlook, right? Especially when we're feeling 
the guilt, right, as we enter these holidays and we're forced into proximity with family members and old friends, right, and we recognize the hurt that we've caused or the grudges that we're holding, it's really easy to overlook the obvious answer of why those sins aren't counted against us. Right? And the reason is that they're no longer kept on our record. Because the very judge who is called to try our case, he saw the sentence that we deserved and he chose to serve it himself. Right? Jesus came down from heaven as the sacrificial lamb to take the place of condemned goats. He took all of the sickness of this world and the sin and the brokenness and the evil and he put it on his own shoulders. Right? And by his righteous life, his suffering of hell and death in our place, right? he paid for every last bit of our failure with every last drop of his holy blood. Right? On the cross, two amazing things happen at the very same time. Right? Every good deed that you should have, could have, would have done is done perfectly. They're complete. And at the same time, the punishment that you've deserved for every selfish and petty and cruel thing you've ever done is inflicted on Jesus. Right? So the good is complete and the evil is paid for. And that, that is the most beautiful message we can ever hear while on earth. Right? As Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, he didn't give them a how-to message. Right? He gave them and he gives us today a how-it's-been-done message. Now come the good works. Right? Knowing that we're made God's sheep by Jesus' sacrifice, now we have the power to live new lives right? that are pleasing to God. And we have to. Right? For one, because our faith compels us. Like we said, a Christian, you naturally produce good deeds. Right? But secondly, we have to because we live in a world where we are surrounded by condemned goats who desperately need to hear this message. You know, despite all the philanthropy that he did in his later years, I imagine that Dan Seavey, well, let me say this. I don't know Dan Seavey's heart. But I think it's easy to imagine him sitting in a nursing home wondering about that cosmic scale. Right? Hoping that maybe he tipped it in his favor a little bit. And we are all surrounded by friends and family by coworkers, by neighbors, who are wondering the very same thing. Right? Hoping that they can balance 
those cosmic, that cosmic scale of justice. So we have to. We have to go out and deliver this message. Right? That Jesus put his thumb on the scales. And not just his thumb. He put the cross on the scales of justice so that nothing you do, no guilt that you carry, can ever tip them back against you ever again. And I pray that we can all carry that message to each other and to everyone in our lives who needs to hear it. Amen.